Hi, my name's Joe Houghton, and this is the Plus One Podcast. And I'm honoured to have as my guest today, Ivy Business School professor, keynote speaker, and founder of the Gnosis 2020 network, Dr. Elena Antonokopoulou. And I hope I, I, hope I said that right. Um, so, and I'm, hope, I'm hoping that's the only time I've got to say your last name. <laughs> Um, but uh, but yeah, thrilled thrilled to have you um, with us with us today, Elena. And thanks so much for coming on. For having me. Your your LinkedIn profile describes <laughs> you as a scholar, axiologist, keynote speaker, and lifelong learner. And again, I mean that piqued my interest as soon as I read it because it seems to be happening pretty regularly on this podcast. Yeah, I've again found a word I don't know the meaning of. So I'm every day is a learning. <laughs> Um, <laughs> axiologist. So more on that in a minute. But your name came up very favourably in the second, I think it was, interview that I did on this podcast with with Jacob Eisenberg, who who you you introduced to, I think, the Management Education Division uh, at the Academy That's of right. Management, which which I found out yesterday. You're presenting at yesterday and tomorrow and the day after, so that's going on this year as well. Um, so I'm, I'm again doubly thrilled that you could take the time to, to do this today. And Jacob was so complimentary about you when he was speaking in his podcast that I had to reach out. So I I found you. you on LinkedIn and I sent you a message and you came back to me. And, you know, <laughs> a week or so later we're, we're here talking to each other. So that's fantastic. You've got. I think a book coming out soon called the management manifesto um where you place and i love this human growth at the center of what management should be and and you're advancing this this mode of learning called sensuous learning and we're going to discuss that and, and how educators perhaps could you know apply some of these things into their own practice um and you've through the Gnosis 2020 network and, and then your manifesto management manifesto for 2030, you and your collaborators are, are advancing this idea of responsible management, learning and leadership using art based methods, which, again, I'm fascinated by because I, 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 I'm a photographer as well. So that's my little nod to, to artistic um, creativity <clears throat> and, and intervention. So you, you you're using that to design and improve kind of practical judgment across the profession. This is going to be so interesting. So, so welcome to the podcast. And, and let's Thank you. <laughs> start by filling in a bit of my own ignorance then. Um, so what's an axiologist um, and why is that important enough to be one of your descriptor words? <laughs> wow. First of all, Joe, thank you so much for making time to allow us to come together and to contribute to bringing together the white management education um, and learning community that we are all part of. Um, and it doesn't matter what our area of expertise we are all educators and learners in the university of life. And my hope is that your work will continue to inspire many of us to come forth, take stock of our learning and really do the work to advance both education, management education and the practice of management. And, and in many respects, that's exactly what an axiologist uh, is about. Okay. Uh, let me let me give you the background. First of all, yeah. <laughs> me being Greek, I do love Greek language because yes. it holds so much more richness in uh, um, uh, uh, arresting nuances and sediments that we often neglect in other mainstream words. Mm. So if I use the word worthy, 
Of course, you would understand it. If I use the word value and the value of value, or that probably will start getting you confused. So sometimes it is so important that we pay due respect to language and concepts and really trace them to their foundational essence, because that I think predisposes us not only to do a better job, but really attend to those finer qualities that we want to bring forth. And that was exactly my objective in um, examining the notion of axiology, more importantly, embedding it in my identity, which is actually so important to explain why this is so significant for me, but also give due recognition to something we, we have not been talking a lot about at all in all this debate about giving voice to values, uh, in all this um, emphasis of um, restoring dignity and worthiness. And there are so many colleagues and speakers out there from famous to not so famous who have made an attempt to address the issue. So basic steps first. The great word for value is axia. Okay. Or axies in plural. Hmm. I have used the notion of axia to move in the space in between virtue and value. Okay. Okay. Um. The reason is because we tend to delineate competencies, then talk about character. And in all of this, we tend to refer to behaviors. Yes. And so we're looking for manifestations and then we're looking to justify those manifestations in in qualities, as I would rather refer to them. Sometimes we call them principles. Sometimes we call them values. Sometimes we call them competences. Sometimes we call them character traits. Sometimes we call them, uh, you know, so many other things. But to Mm. me, you know, whether they are virtues or not, they are what constitutes humanity. Mm. And so axia comes to restore the essence of being human because at its essence, and there are Greek concepts like axiologisi, axioprepia, which we, we call dignity in, in, in English, axioprepia. Right. Axiologisi means evaluation of one's worthiness, evaluate. Okay, yes. Okay. Right? So I've, I've and, never taken value out of evaluate. Isn't okay, that? Okay, so w- welcome to my world because <laughs> by the end of this <laughs> conversation, as most of my other friends would say, you will be more familiar with the Elenaisms, which tend to be hyphenations of mainstream words. Because by the very essence of doing so, you see much more clearly what lies there. So, evaluation is about. Uh, you know, assessing the worthiness of something and its value-added contribution. So the idea of axiology is not new. Logos in Greek means meaning as much as language. So to me, uh, in the mainstream debate of in philosophy around ontology, epistemology, and all these ologies also lies axiology, which simply put is whatever it is that we come to do, we do by virtue also of our values and right. our underlying worthiness. So axiologist is someone who draws attention to how we value ourselves, each other, and the value we attribute to being worthy. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And that, I'm into and, so many different 
aspects, doesn't it, of, of management and self-worth and the perceived value of what we do and, and where we focus our attention. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you've just you've just blown my head off. <laughs> That's wonderful. And yeah. I came to this with a lot of humility, uh, Joe, because um, although I may be a, a scholar for nearly 30 years, mm. I have also, over the last uh, three years, have uh, both been learning and practicing as a executive life coach and because coaching is another new emerging profession with all sorts of uh, identity uh, challenges I I I did I wanted to explain what differentiates what I do Uh, as a scholar I pose persistently questions and I am dedicated to the nurturing and, uh, of ideas, breathing life into new ideas, and advancing knowledge for impact. As an axiologist, I bring this scholarship to action by reminding us that humanity is at the core of our search and re-search to become right. human. Wow. And I mean, that's just, isn't that just such an important touchstone? To, to maintain because it's so easily forgotten about isn't it when you get into the the busyness absolutely in fact what is worse for those of us who believe in knowledge and the advancement of humanity through education yeah we strip naked the essence of um pedia. that is the other key concept in my in my work as an educator uh, pedia is the great concept of pedagogy right pedagogy. but it is also a notion that um, actually if we want to ret- if we were to return to it and re-embed in management education and I've tried to explain a little bit some of the thinking behind this in a, in a, a piece I've published in the journal management education in 2016 I think for me Bedia is the avenue towards individuation and the growth of humanity because it speaks with its double meaning of both pedagogy, which is the cultivation through education in the advancements of one's quality as a human being, but it also means in Greek, struggle. Pedevo means struggle. Right. And that reminds us that if anyone wanted to understand this whole process as a straightforward register, study, get marks, graduate, Mm and you are competent, we've lost the game before yeah. we even start playing it. We have. Oh, I love this. Because, I mean, you, what, you're, <laughs> what you're putting scholarly wording and, and interpretation around is something that I, I guess I've, I've always tried to do. I mean, I talk to my students at the beginning of their program, and I say, you know, welcome to the program. I hope you realise this is going to be tough. I hope you realise <laughs> this is going to be yeah. yeah, it's going to be, be tears and laughter and ups and downs, and you know the, this this is will be a, a struggle. You're going to have to reimagine your life, and you're going to have to rewire your head and take on new ideas and and grapple with them and all that. And that's just what you're saying, isn't it? The the pedagogy and the struggle are, are combined. It's not just show up in class. You're going to get a mark and and end up with a master's. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. And that is where we have great scope to when we talk about pushing the boundaries and, and redesigning and reimagining what um, educating for uh, a volatile uh, 
uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world, VUCA yes. world. Yeah, in, yes, in, that was another question I was coming to later, so I'm really glad you brought that one up, yeah. Well, it really reminds us that, that just assuming that sitting in a classroom uh, and giving you a set of cases or just simply asking you to learn things by heart to then regurgitate is no mark of learning and certainly a void of education. Mm. And do you think that education, you know, without staying too high level, because I mean, the, the aim of the podcast is, if you like, to inspire other educators to kind of, of make course. change that in their practice. <clears throat> do you think we are moving towards a better awareness that, that, that education perhaps should be, you know, experiential rather than purely rote learning? Um, Didactic, yes. I, I hear you, Joe. Um, I think we are. Um, and I suspect in, in many respects, um, dare I say, thank God for COVID, because it has challenged us to move beyond our routines okay. and establish ways of doing things. Traumatizing and difficult as it might have been for ourselves and our students in higher education, nonetheless, it had propelled us to be more creative once again and to do what was necessary to remain engaged with our students and to fulfill our obligation in creating those experiences of learning Yes. That are not just by the very nature experiential, but that really touch the core nerves mm. that mobilize the learner to define the experiences that they then draw from in order to grow. So I have another more radical view of experiential learning that to me is more than what Culp defined. And of course, I wholeheartedly embrace what he had in yes. mind. To me, at the very essence of what I do lies practicing, uh, yes. which is not just a process of recognizing what we do and how we do what we do, but constantly critiquing why we do what we do in the way we do it so that we could do it differently and hopefully better. I love that. Yeah. I, I, re I read a really interesting article by a professional photographer. Uh-huh. Um, and, and this guy is a, is a top sports photographer. He's, he's actually shooting the Olympics at the moment. Oh, how fun. Fantastic. And, uh, and this, this article said that, that several times a week he goes out very often with an old camera or a manual lens or something that constrains his ability in some way. And he goes out and practices. Yeah. And now this guy is at the top of his game. He's, yeah. he's an, a, an A grade photographer in, in every yeah. respect, but he goes out and he practices because he says he's all, he finds that to put himself under some kind of a constraint and, and just to kind of, give himself the space to get things wrong yes mm. means that he hones and continues to hone his skills in areas and I, th I thought that was a really interesting article. Oh, it, it, it's it's um <laughs> i have only one word for things like this it's just so beautiful you haven't got words to capture it and i've spent about seven years in one of my research studies looking at chefs athletes performing artists, doctors and lawyers, 
all of whom as professionals refer to what they do as their practice. Yes, they do, don't they? Not just by virtue of what they do, uh, the, the medical practice uh, or the, the legal practice, but that they recognize that every time they perform what they do is a practicing event as much as a performance, which shows you the incompleteness that they recognize uh, in the almost kind of, you could even say, endless and relentless um, work in progress that we must remain. And, and that is impact, by the way. Because you don't arrive to creating the Michelin star dish. You don't perform in the Olympics by breaking world records if all you did was being repetitive yes. of what you've always done. Yes. Right? Yeah. And that is also where you push the boundaries and have impact. For me, impact is imp for improving, act, action. Yes. So if you understand the impact as this the dedication for the ongoing improvement of action, then you don't expect to see it at the end. <laughs> Impacting yes. becomes the very process of generating yeah. impact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And practicing is the key to that. And there's nothing really astoundingly new about it. But again, we, we get so drawn to outcomes and measures and targets and mm. all those denominators that suck out the axia out of the essence of who we are and what we do. Oh, wow. I mean, this puts me in mind of, I mean, the week that's in it this week. I mean, as we record this podcast, it's the 30th of July. And the Olympics is on. Indeed. And yesterday or the day before, the, 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 the news world was flooded with, with Simone Biles, the, the US athlete. Yes. Who, who pulled out of... Yes, the you know the the final finals of the Olympics, and she yeah. would probably have won gold because of her recognition that yeah. she wasn't she wasn't set up mentally yeah. for that competition. Yeah, and she, and and Anna very bravely, I think she stepped back and yeah. and you know, she's cheers her term teammates on and all of it. And we've had Naomi Osaka do the sim similar thing re more, with more tennis. But I mean, that, that, that talks to what you just said, because it's like they recognise that even though the Olympics is one of the biggest stages that they will ever perform on, yeah. they're still on that journey of, of development, of, of yeah. generating these performances. And the Olympics isn't it. The Olympics yeah. is just one stage on their continued journey, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And indeed, there are many success stories. Uh, hold behind them many, many years of, really? of preparation, yeah. um, multiple events and, yeah. and actually failures. Uh, uh, and, and to me, what this example is precisely celebrating is uh, the, the axia of the person behind the athlete performing to the top of their game yeah. because they respect themselves enough mm. to know that to give their absolute best, yes. they have to be at home with themselves. Yes. That is one of the other big realizations I myself had had to do the work to arrive at in recognizing and in writing um, during the uh, pandemic about what it means to lead from home. Of course, many understood initially what I had intended to mean 
uh, <clears throat> is, uh, you know, the very fact that we were all confined at home and the home became the workplace and yeah. obviously every, uh, you know, the space, if you will, where uh, everyday life was being played out. Mm. Only with, with that isolation dimension and all that that kind of generated. E except I, I do draw on Bateson's work and her notion of composing a life as a homecoming. And for me, this notion of um, how we propel ourselves in future making um, that enables us to perform at our best um, mm -hmm. demands rooting ourselves back in at the very core and essence of who we are, you know, coming home. Yeah. And interestingly enough, um, there are two terms that I have I want to share with you because again, in my sensitivity with language, I've come to appreciate that the very system that we're problematizing, and of course we are part of and have yeah. helped contribute to creating, <laughs> not least by participating in the structures that um, we often critique, in what we refer to as our economy and ecology, which we are recognizing more and more, both yes. the eco and economy and ecology, yeah. the common denominator of the word e eco is yeah. the essence of eco, meaning home, ikea. Okay. All right. Eco is, oh my goodness, eco. So you understand. So, so to me, ecology or returning to ecology is part of one's axiology in coming home to to restore the essence of who we are as humans. Yes. That's why I mastered the the, the the strength to say not in an in in an exclusive exclu, excluding people uh, way, but that. That part of the challenge we have in management education is, is addressing humane poverty. Look at yeah. the behaviors we all uh, fall victims to and, and sadly laughed about, humorized, but actually seriously, they reveal what genuinely mattered to us. I mean, when lockdown was being announced, what did most people rush to secure? Mm. Toilet paper. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and the empty the shelves enough for the people who were actually the key workers out there serving and supporting the saving of life could return from, from work back home and stop to secure themselves a meal for the evening and couldn't find a thing. Yeah. So the idea of homecoming as a central notion of what propels us to deliver in the best version of ourselves the positive impact that we all can have in the wider structure, or we call it a system, call it an economy, call it an ecology, we are part of with other non-human and other material entities, I should add. Huh? So this must not only be anthropocentric, <laughs> although, of course, my, my focus will always remain the human actor as a very um, privileged and enforcing uh, presence in, 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 in that which we call the world we are yes. living in, right? And, and this is my way of bringing you to, to the essence of what you also referred to earlier. What we see in behaviors when someone stands strong uh, in affirming their worthiness, in saying, I will pull out because I don't feel this is right for me. Yes. 
is not what we are used to, but no. I do hope that this is what we become more, far more, not just accepting and certainly not tolerating, but mm. more willing to celebrate because mm. it takes such inner strength to mm. come to that point. And that is the essence of senses learning. It oh, is to move us from cultivating sensibility, IQ, and sensitivity, EQ, mm. to actually mastering the essence of our core. Yes. And then the athlete or performing yes. artist will tell you, without your core, you can't start. Actually, you can't function. You, 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 what holds us together are not our feet. <laughs> it is yeah. our core. Our core, yeah. And, and I call that core intelligence. Yeah. Uh, and I show how that extends intuition. But more importantly for me, core becomes a way of reminding us the need to be centered. Yes. Oneness. Okay. Reflex, which we can talk about, and energy. Great. And that's why you, you see the, 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 the aurora behind me. Yeah. There is vibration in everything we do. And we, we laugh at it and think of it as new age. Mm -hmm. No, it is there. It's in the air we breathe. And yeah. some people recognize it as aura. Uh, some people um, recognize it as sentiment. Um, it is there. Yeah. Uh, but without the reflexivity, uh, reflex, reflexivity, yes. the prefix re, repeat, but right. not replicate, <laughs> because repeating always provides you scope for pushing the boundaries. And this because is where the practice, back to the practice, yeah. There you go, you see? So everything is, is circular. Right. So take it, all right, so, so, so deconstruct core for us a little bit more, because that's, no. that's one of your central kind of vehicles, isn't it? Um, core. So, so yeah, I, I love, I love the, I love it's the, the core. Idea. It's the core home. It goes back you, to the ecos again. Yeah. And this is what you, I mean, you presented a paper on this yesterday, didn't you? I did. The, yes. <laughs> so this is, this is kind of very, <laughs> this, this is wonderful stuff. Yeah. But making it practical, Joe, and that is actually what makes meaningful our conversation on top of everything else. Um, a few years back, um, so first, first things uh, to, to say, I was very lucky in, in, in my career to have been given the space to be creative. And maybe that is exactly why I loved uh, being an educator in the space where I grew to become one. Right. From and Warwick that's, where to I am, that's where I am this, this semester. With I've been given this semester, you yeah. know, as a fellow I'm to, to so explore. I'm so happy for you. Absolutely. And yeah. when I saw you earn the fellowship, I was genuinely not only very proud of you, but very happy for the system to really invite someone as capable and imaginative as you in this amazing research approach for gathering and data that you are. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it is exactly what we need. So for me, uh, the opportunity I had at Warwick, at uh, Manchester, at Liverpool, now in Ivy, and in, in, in uh, also in my visiting um, engagement at Lincoln Business School, is that opportunity to be creative, to feel free. When we feel free, we have the opportunity to genuinely push the boundaries of who we can become and how we can inspire each other. So the Gnosis Initiative is something that I had officially launched when I became as part of the um, 
Advanced Institute of Management Research a Senior Fellow. And that became a home to um, 30 scholars across nine countries uh, studying. Uh, so I've, I've led the multiple interdisciplinary international research teams. And together we've tried to challenge each other because we were coming from very different disciplinary backgrounds yeah. to understand the phenomenon that we were studying. But then in this process, it also became a home to invite and host a number of executives in residence and policymakers. So the product of census learning is, uh, was first practiced in the period of 16 months when I hosted a secretary of education from Brazil and where our weekly discussions became a reflexive platform for accounting how democratizing education in a place where Friere imagined a conscientization as the essence of education, right? Mm. Paolo Friere. Paolo Friere, um, yeah. Um, and, and, and it was a, an amazing experience, which then led me to, to design what I called the Gnosis 4R, Critical Action Learning Framework, which right. then became the foundation for the Gnosis 2020 program, okay. which gave me further opportunity to test, but more so to create a network of over 100 members of not only typical um international interdisciplinary policy and practitioners, but also artists. And this resulted in the two edited volumes. And is that, well, is that the difference between, if you like, classic action learning, you know, of, of do reflect, change, do again, and is, is the introduction of the art and the senses, <laughs> is, is that, the, is that the, 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 the added magic that Gnosis brought in? I believe I believe so, and I will explain in what way uh, we did that, Joe, and what this for our uh, um, critical action learning framework does. It first and foremost juxtaposes and really seeks to connect our ways of seeing with yes. our ways of being, because uh -huh. both define our ways of becoming. Of course. Right. So. If you think about it as an educator, you have to start by saying, what conditions am I creating in the course of fostering learning in this um, ex learning experience mm -hmm. where I will invite people to grow from their capacity to view something and review it? Yes. To build the capacity to reflect on it and mm -hmm. in the midst of doing it. And I'm yes. sure you recognize I'm sounding here uh, like Donald Sean. <laughs> yes. Uh, but more importantly, how do we lift them up to that capacity of being reflexive? Right. And there's lots that's been written about after action reviews and yes. the value that these add. And I've done six years of research with the Royal Norwegian Air Force. So I've been very privileged to understand the military profession uh, more, more broadly because of that exposure and to really actually challenge the attache that, um, you know, um, reconstructing post experience yeah. uh, and experience always leads to us deriving the lessons that we learn. In fact, well, it, in a period, well, it hopefully does. But I mean, that's the thing about action learning, isn't it? You can reflect, <clears> and, <throat> and you can surface exactly things, 
didn't work well or whatever. But how does that then translate the reflexivity? How does it translate into new action that's different and better? Exactly. So remember, these are ways of seeing. And I don't mean to privilege just sight as a, as no. a sense. I'm really emphasizing that the way we create a, a construction of a phenomenon or an experience is very much down to the degree of bias that we permit in enabling us to see more and to see differently. So yes. to cultivate reflexivity, you move. And, and again, you will see in, in one of the frameworks I've developed, I took the courage to extend um, the uh, framework that um, my mentor, Chris Ardris and Donald Schoen created in Single and Double Loop Learning, where I show that if there is an error and uh, it shows that the action you've taken did not produce the intended results. So yes. that's single loop learning. Yes. Um, but if you want to improve averting uh, this error repeating, don't just change your actions. Also, double loop uh, learn in right. order to review yep. your values. Yes. And of course, since then, there are studies which have looked at the ways we learn as an important part of the ways of um, constructing our values and assumptions, which then lead to our actions. But where I introduce the difference is that what happens when there is a tension? To me, tensions are an important element of extensions. Okay. And that's exactly where I constructed this notion of learning in crisis to explain that we tend to put cry uh, learning either before, during, or after crisis. But we mm. forget the level of crisis necessary in learning. Yes. And I mean, we we know that crisis fosters learning because, I mean, technological advances just skyrocket in wartime, for instance, don't they? Because it's a crisis. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So what do we do? We straight jacket people, give them the kind of tools we think they will always need. And of course, lo and behold, no one experience repeats in the same way ever. So, yeah. of course, the one thing we exclude from that learning process is the unknown. So where does reflexivity come is, is in recognizing that even that which you think you've learned and you yeah. therefore derive as the basis for avoiding repeating the same mistake again mm -hmm. could become a very important foundation for you critiquing what you think you know so that you can embrace the unknown in its own terms. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And, and sometimes perceived failure doesn't necessarily failure, does it? Because perceived failure could be, well, in that frame, it's failure. But if you've reframed it in a different frame, perhaps it's it's a, a new road to go down or it's a, a new insight. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, a lot of what you're implying there is about the framing and reframing. And of yeah. course, all of us appreciate that. I think there is maybe another layer that I want to introduce here, which is about this cap capacity, which I have found distinctly uh, the arts provide scope yeah. for. So, yeah, tell us about the arts and, and bring which, that in, because that seems which, to be... Which is... Which is um, and I'll come to an example, but but just to just to concretely illustrate the two points I have already made. So mm. if you think about the miracle on the Hudson River, which was one of the examples of, of the analysis we performed to show it's the value of silly, isn't it? The the pilot who landed the, the exactly, plane. Exactly, the, the plane on the Hudson River. Yes, yes. Saving all lives on board. 
Uh, we have done an analysis of this incident and subsequently with colleagues, we had done an analysis of the uh, German wings uh, catastrophe when their co-pilot uh, smashed the plane on the French Alps, killing all passengers um, on board, which showed the very safety measures that were previously taken, not less imposed by the aviation authorities internationally following the 9-11 incident were the very reason why the co-pilot could not be stopped because the assumption was that danger was only um, outside from the outside the cockpit not inside the cockpit itself and by the very pilot but in celebrating at the same time the crisis in learning that people like uh, Captain Salenberger were demonstrating as living proof that we are capable of rising to the occasion and meeting crisis in its own terms. This is where reflexivity introduces the essence of any crisis or the unknown. (laughs) Again, in Greek, the word crisis, crisis, means both something that is presented suddenly and is unfamiliar to you and can create all the consequences. Of course, we know crisis do do, uh, create. Uh, but it also is the same word we use for judgment. <laughs> so to me, judgment. So crisis is where is your practical judgment? And to add an, another word to explain that, it's where Aristotle's notion of practical judgment and uh, having an eye for the essential in his notion of phronesis. Ah, that's what phronesis is. Okay, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So now we're going full circle now. Yeah, because that case study of, of of Sully, and I mean, I read a, a little bit about it. Didn't didn't they kind of didn't they put you know dozens of other pilots through the simulator with it? Precisely. And nobody else landed the plane. He he sudden he found a way from all those myriad yeah. possibilities to get that plane down, and it was yeah. amazing. Yeah. And and that is core intelligence. It's what it what happens when you. I mean, and I have interviewed enough pilots, obviously, from my research in the in the air force, to tell you that all those of us who can testify to moments when we ro- rose to the occasion. <clears throat> it's not what you witness every time you see a record being broken. No. Um, right. It is. It is when you uh, allow your core intelligence and the sadience that underpins it to fuel that inner strength so that if you're a pilot, you become one with the plane. You don't fly the plane anymore. This is almost that that flow moment. People have called it flow. Um, As I said, an uninvited sadience. It it is a level of, of, of being that yes. is different. And that's exactly why our ways of, of seeing mm-hmm. in reviewing, reflecting and being reflexive, which means the capacity to be in and out of the situation simultaneously so that you can obtain an insider and outsider's perspective, which is exactly what I have just said in the example of what permits mm-hmm. us to re- elevate ourselves in that, in that uh, level of judgment, to it's, know that... I mean, the, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but this is kind of getting to that state of almost unconscious competence, you know, the, the four stages of competency frame, it, it, and being able to step both, be inside the situation, but look out, like outside, but just do. You don't have to think about it because you've learned it and you know it so well. And well, you somehow, somehow create 
this this possibility as right. we bring it all together. So, yeah. so here is the the, the, the double-edged sword. Uh, call it in those terms as you've just described, and you are at the edge, <laughs> at the edge of what happens when you do too much practicing. You right. can become paralyzed by yes. that assumption that you have mastered it, mm. whatever that it may be. Whatever it is, yes. Whereas what I'm talking about is this amazing quality that practicing entails that permits you to make leaps of faith. Yes. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah, and this is why it's more than just unconscious competence. In fact, thank you for making that comment because at the very essence of what our ways of being are, lie our competence, our character, mm -hmm. and our conscience. And conscience is not just about the subconscious, unconscious, or what is actively in our awareness. The very essence of conscience and conscientization is, in Greek, conscience means synesthesia. Okay. Synesthesis. Esthesis is sensuousness. Right. Ah. It's the orchestration of the senses. Yes. So yes. you're very much heightened in your awareness mm. enough at the same time, though, to connect them, not in creating a sixth sense, but tapping into an intelligence that lies there unexplored. But that is also the journey of propelling our becoming, because at the core of our ways of being, ways of seeing, is our ways of becoming. So is that, that's, that's gnosis, isn't it? Isn't isn't that's gnosis exactly. becoming? Isn't that's it? Yeah. precisely that. that yeah. In fact, that is how the unknown becomes mm. familiar, known to us. Yes. And that's exactly why I, I chose to name this uh, initiative gnosis because of well, course that's the evolution of your management thought from from completely stuff into gnosis. That's that's the that's the path. completely absolutely. Absolutely. And it started, by the way, I must say, by completing my PhD with the inscription, because I really finally understood the essence of what that meant with the, the Socratic um, uh, dictum that papandarin, in other words, um, uh, oh, sorry, my mistake. You can take this comment out. Okay. With the Socratic notion, uh, en either, or you then either. I only know that I do not know. Yes, yes. Which is more than self-awareness. Yes, it When is. you realize that you can become by reviewing what you understand, mm -hmm. by understanding and questioning your competence, how? By igniting your curiosity, yes. which enables you to reflect by tapping into your core character characteristics, qualities, which elevates your confidence to experiment and mm -hmm. enables you then in being reflexively re uh, reassess through your conscience your action choices. Yeah. So you have um, uh, curiosity, confidence, and choice yeah. as the catalyst of becoming. That to me 
is helping us rethink the essence of education as not information gathering or the accumulation of knowledge as we've traditionally understood learning to be. You know, so if you were asking me what are the five questions in any any educator must ask themselves, I would say why learning, what is learning, when to learn, where to learn, and how to learn. What yeah. is good to learn. And that was and that in itself is qualitatively different. Why, why learning? Because without learning, you stop breathing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. breathing more than food <laughs> is what keeps us alive. So to me, it's a condition for remaining alive with the ever-changing conditions. What is learning? It's not behavioral change and the accumulation of knowledge. For me, it always has been and will remain the liberation of knowledge and the organic growth of the individual. Yeah, and, and connecting it back to that sense of right and, and what you should do. And and, and here is the point. Forward. Yeah. But that's exactly the point, Joe. Nobody dictates what's right and what's good. The circumstances define what feels right. Yeah. And, and this capacity to feel elevates our ways of relating to a new way of connecting rather than to building interactions and transactions and, and uh, relationships that are based on conditions of, of exchange. Yes. Which is the essence of the economic system that we suffer the consequences of. But we're, move, we're moving into a new world at the moment with, with the, the rise of, you know, artificial intelligence algorithms, oh, aren't yeah. we? I mean, this seems to be the next place for you to go. Almost is is kind of like so. How do we how do we connect human oh, yeah. sensuousness and human creativity and human understanding of you know fundamental right and wrong, not as rules based right and wrong, but that that underlying kind of unconscious notion of right and wrong, and and how do we translate that into the the computer that's going to sit in our car? And decide, you know, who they plow into in a in a in an emergency situation. I mean, that's that's terrifying stuff, isn't it? Of course it is. Of course it is. And and the very fact that it has ignited enough of our curiosity to ponder it as a possibility is already worthwhile recognizing that yes. there may be some value precisely in doing so. And as with most accomplishments in humanity's history, this potentially can become one after multiple trials, <laughs> which will help define not only the course of history of this particular uh, aspect of artificial intelligence, but, but what we understand artific artificiality to be and what we understand intelligence to be. Yeah. Oh, oh. And and you must recognize that it takes more than, you know, uh, intellect to be to act intelligently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, look, I, I know we're running out of time. And I mean, I could sit and talk to you all day. This is just... <laughs> Sorry if I have a lot to say. <laughs> 30 it's years is a long time. <laughs> I'm just so lucky. Um, but, but I just want to bring you back to art because that's one yes. of the key things, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And I, I want you to, to, to give us a few minutes on, on why art is so why important. Art. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. So, um, again, when we speak of art-based methods, I'm certainly not the first. There are so many other colleagues that have defined their career using arts um, and noticing the, the, the uh, nuances that lie in the way um, art 
both as a performance as, as well as a form of expression uh, allows us and broadens our capacity to see uh, ourselves and society. Uh, and I've always been interested in, in uh, obviously, performing arts because mm. I did classical ballet and I, and I like the dancing myself. Right. But I, I appreciate it even more, although I've started to paint when I was younger. Um, I've always been, been um, so I understand expressing oneself with color and with paint strokes enough to have pushed my inability to work with abstract art. Right. And, and that's where I started with, with arts. I used to bring um, um, René Magritte paintings in my classroom uh, activities. Um, and, and what makes especially René Magritte uh, attractive to me is because he uses very familiar forms um, mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, in order to, um, you know, so uh, uh, one, of him, he, he, one of his most famous paintings is a, a pipe with the inscription underneath, which says, this is not a pipe. <laughs> I tell you, this makes for the, for the best philosophy of sciences uh, opening, <laughs> yeah. of, of, of opening um, lecture, because it problematizes what we see. Yes. And what we take as an object of understanding that we have imposed uh, ex ante. And isn't that isn't this what art is 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 fundamentally all about? Is 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 presenting a view or, or, or a, a a state of not necessarily reality because theatre is not not reality. It's 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 unreality, isn't it? But no. you're presenting a form, whether it's dance or a photography form or a a musical form or whatever. And you're saying, Absolutely. well. Here's a reality, but it doesn't have to be your reality, and and it, this is a reality I'm giving you, exactly to, to experience or to 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 look at. Yeah, exactly. I would start from an even more basic level: the very fact that other human beings have found this as their way of expression. Mm. I mean, a stroke of a particular color. Yes, uh, the intensity with which that stroke had been made. <clears throat> as an expression or, or, of um, not just a, a sensation or a feeling and, and, or an experience, but, but as a biography of, of uh, other human beings, yeah. not, not in the traditional art portraits that we have seen performed over the, over the ages, which in themselves were, uh, you know, uh, marks of the political um, underpinnings of their time. You know, to have your portrait being made in the history of art, uh, you, you will see it was an accomplishment uh, and, and, and a mark of status. And, and of course, as other people, artists, as as craftsmen had to live so of course they would all have they too have had to negotiate that which we are experiencing constantly in that which we define work as opposed to job yes that provides us a means uh, for our living but actually uh, removes the meaning of life in the process potentially if we are not mm -hmm. careful <laughs> which is and precisely is what we look where your synthesis is coming in isn't it of, of yeah the, the humanness of management with 
making a, <laughs> making enough to put food on the table. <laughs> I mean, I, again, this is exactly just to take you back to your opening remark. Um, uh, my art is 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 uh, hyphening words. Um, take the word management and put a hyphen between man and agement, and you suddenly don't understand management in the way that you have ever seen it before. It's no longer about controlling. It's wonderful, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not about controlling. It's not just about organizing. It's not, uh, you know, about coordinating. All of those things, of course, we do recognize as part of, uh, you know, management. But come on, give management a break for being the very essence of what enabled us from the first industrial revolution all the way to the fourth, and by the way, the fifth is in the making, in case we haven't noticed. And it's all about not the technological advances anymore, which is how we understood industrial revolutions, but really the alignment of humanity with technology and other forms of um, expression that push the boundaries of our ways of living. But, but come back to the essence of management and why managing and organizing are such important spaces for education to be understood afresh. And that's why we as management educators are so lucky to be given such an important role and responsibility in fostering this capacity for responsibilization, as I call it. How do we cultivate that responsibility, not in our students, but as learners learning together and creating and redesigning the ecology and the economy we choose to be part of because we restored our collective worthiness in ourselves and in each other. And by valuing our worthiness, management then becomes our commitment in those places we call organizations, the workplace uh, and the dynamics in the workforce as the force, uh, the energy force that permits us to age. And like good wine, agement is maturing to our full yeah. human potential, no less. Oh my goodness! You see, you you, you every time you say a, a sentence, I mean, we could we could go for weeks on this stuff. <laughs> no, each of what I have come to say, although I know I'll talk a lot, and my apologies to your audience yeah, and to you, but these are products that come not from me. They are ideas who I'm very lucky to have given so much of myself and love towards growing that they are an inseparable part of what I understand my purpose to be. But and, you've, and, you've synthesized them so beautifully and you've pulled all these different strands together so beautifully. And, and, and that's the weaving and, that I have chosen to do, Joe. Yeah. I am entangled in all of what I produce. I don't study entanglement as outside of me. I embed it, and by living it, I show and become living proof of why impact is possible. So my 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 final words, if there were any, to to your audience yeah, I mean, and how we one. give us give us the give us give give give. Give a secondary school teacher or a college lecturer, you know, listening to this, mm. who has been blown away by the ideas. Give give us something to take, you know, that we can we can make a change. How how can I take this this idea of this the deeper connections that you've been talking about? And move it through that reflexivity into how can I how can I serve my students better? How can I, yeah, mm. kind of 
that's that's the raison d'etre for this podcast if you like and i mean you live here you live in this space so just give us I one do. i i do and i would be always hesitating to offer anyone any anything in the form of um, do this and you get that yeah. but but i have this this dream i have this ambition i have this belief in us that those of us who have chosen to take education as our craft are amongst the most privileged because we recognize the value of learning and hopefully we commit to a life of learning ourselves. That's why if you ask me, what are you? I'm a learning scholar. Yes, I study learning, but I commit to being a lifelong learner as I indicate on my LinkedIn, which you've spotted. Uh, but what does this mean in, in practice? For me, it's about embracing the the, the the, the university of life is the arena where um, our most important lessons and learning plays out. <clears throat> and if we release ourselves of the boundaries that we create in our classrooms between the one hour and a half long session, which has to deliver this knowledge, which will then build on what preceded and what follows, which will then result to us being able to assess a person's growth enough for us to give it a, a mark, I would simply say that more of my time as an educator I spend, and I know, and I know, and I feel <clears throat> that I had to make some um, important compromises when my classrooms were growing in the 300 or more recently 600 mark, mm. uh, where you lose that personable yes. connection. Yeah. But I do hope that that as I show up in what I do, whether it's giving you an online lecture, like, uh, you know, this conversation, whether it's me being in an amphitheater, uh, addressing an, an, an audience, um, or whether it is just a quiet conversation between two learners over coffee, um, be that my students who have a question or a colleague with whom I'm battling an idea. Yeah. Treasure those moments. Oh. Treasure those moments because the, the, the golden nugget of learning lies in, in that holding of each other. Hmm. So that it's not the imparting of knowledge that we do or we set as the objective, but that in this, in this university of life, we are all perforce to embrace the lessons, particularly in crucible moments um, that enable us to grow the most. So we yeah. need each other to have that sense of safety and vulnerability to yeah. say, I don't know what to do. Yeah, we, we need to hold each other. I love, I mean, you, you, your, your crafting of words is just so beautiful. But you, that choice of word that you just used about teaching, and I'd never thought of teaching in that way, where you said that it's a craft. Now, I've always thought of my photography as a craft. And I've just finished a book, which I actually released last week. Called Congratulations. The and Craft of mm. Long Exposure Photography. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wonderful. So that, that word resonates with me. But I'd never, I'd never taken craft to teaching. 
Oh my god! I don't know why? Because now you say it, it's like so obvious, and I realise yeah. that that's what I'm trying to do is as I further explore teaching and learning and and yeah. podcast and 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 you know connect with you and and all my other colleagues and stuff is is I'm trying to hone and and develop my craft rather than. <laughs> so mechanistic yeah uh, completely but but again i feel the need to qualify the for the fact that you zoom in on the issue of craftsmanship uh, craftsmanship is not just in the construction or creation of an artifact or or a particular job we yeah. are all learners at home with our children and it didn't have to take for a lockdown you know to study with them or, or to become their uh, teachers uh, the, <laughs> My children have taught me more about who I ha have the potential to become in assuming the most prominent of roles of being their mother. Um, and every day I'm being challenged by that. Um, all of our relationships with one another are part of the crafting and recrafting of the essence of who we are as a human yes. thing. Yes. That's the essence. Yes. That is the essence. And that is the work that we are all propelled to do through education in order to celebrate humanity, in order to make the fifth industrial revolution the best mark of humankind's or humanity's advancement. Uh, and that's- Recrafting ourselves. I love that. Completely, I mean, that, that's completely. Just, that's just a fabulous place to, to probably, that's that's where we should, that's that's our line to finish on, Elena, because- <laughs> than that that i mean recrafting <laughs> ourselves uh, that is just just fabulous um i'm so grateful to you for sharing this with oh. us and i i Thank know you for giving me the chance to practice <laughs> <laughs> and i'm you know the fact that i can sit in my study here in in dublin and and talk Beautiful. to you and get <laughs> and get this connection and and learn so much i mean you've opened my mind up this morning which has been absolutely wonderful uh, and i'm certainly oh, going thank to thank you hopefully stay in touch and, and follow for sure you. yeah for um, sure and and thanks to jacob as well for, uh, for absolutely making... here's to jacob for making the initial connection and here's to technology for reminding us not not all about artificial intelligence is artificial we didn't know each other uh, no. We have come and met, we spoke openly and freely, yeah. and we have a shared ambition to make the world a better place because we yeah. want to be part of it. So that's the beauty of what makes this conversation for me also worthwhile. It's another set of evidence that what we do in our distance way brings us more back home together as a family yeah. of strangers, no yeah. less. Wonderful family of strangers. Yeah, yeah. Strangers <laughs> are friends you've not met before. I, I love it. Completely. I love it. Yeah, yeah. So thank, thank you. you so much for the opportunity to be part of what you are creating. And I so wish you from all my, from the bottom of my heart, every success. I certainly look forward to learning. And may I ask, have your permission to promote this as a mode of, of data gathering, as, a, as an approach to doing research? Because I genuinely believe you get so much more through that uh, than just an interview. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. one that I mean... others 
can actually go into and test your interpretations from. So we could have a whole session on methodology using your innovative approach in itself. <laughs> well, that might be another conversation for us to have offline because that would be very interested in exploring your ideas because you're, I mean, you're far more of a, of a, professional kind of researcher and you've done far more of this than I have and I'd never really thought of a podcast as, as a form of research but it is isn't God, it I mean, completely. and you're assembling data and you're assembling ideas and stuff so yeah um I would love to love to explore when, when things have calmed down a bit for you though because <laughs> I don't know when that will be but never mind <laughs> never mind <laughs> fantastic Elena um thank you so much Joe for your time Take good care of yourself and look forward to the next time. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Elena. Goodbye. Bye-bye.